Hey everyone, welcome back to the New York Gun Guys podcast. On today's episode, we're going to take a break from the doom and gloom of all the recent bad laws and lawsuits that's been going on in New York. And actually today we have a very special in-studio guest. So stay tuned and uh, check him out. Welcome back to the New York Gun Guys podcast. My name is Taylor. Guys, like I said in the intro, everything that's been going on lately with New York State, all the lawsuits, unconstitutional laws and everything, it seems like there's been so much doom and gloom lately, but we're going to take a break from that today. Um, very special guest in studio is Mr. Craig Kane. Uh, he's U.S. Marshals retired for about 30 years of his service. You might have seen him on Fox News and CNN providing commentary when people like to break out of prison or do some naughty things. <laughs> and you've also might seen him on the A&E show Manhunters. So welcome Mr. Craig Kane to the studio. Hey, Taylor. Happy to be here. So, um, basically, today we're just going to sit down, chat, talk about your service, talk about really anything you want, but who are you and what was your job in the U.S. Marshals? Yeah, fine. Uh, sounds like a plan. I did 30 years with the U.S. Marshals. Um, started out as a deputy U.S. Marshal, and uh, with the advent of the uh, Regional Fugitive Task Force, I was promoted to the inspector. Uh, I was in charge of uh, a unit out here on Long Island, and uh, basically I had under my uh, umbrella a Nassau County PD, I had New York State Troopers, New York State Parole, um, uh, various other agencies, both state and federal. So what our mission was, after 9-11, Congress mandated that they wanted the first ever congressionally funded fugitive task force that would be able to cross any line, any border, any state to go after the worst of the worst, you know, your murderers, rapists, terrorists, uh, sex offenders, what have you. So um, we started that unit in uh, 2001 and um, basically ran with that and it's still going strong. This unit now gravitated throughout the country where there's the Great Lakes Regional Fugitive Task Force. Ours was the New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force. Um, and then those that was the flagship, and the one out in L.A. was a flagship. Then with the success we had, breaking down all the different barriers and stuff and bringing on many federal, state, and local agencies under the umbrella of the Regional Fugitive Task Force, um, they started the uh, Great Lakes Fugitive Task Force, the Southwest, uh, the Caribbean uh, Regional Fugitive Task Force, which encompasses like the, the, the Florida states, Alabama, Mississippi, and stuff like that. So uh, what was great about it is, you know, you, you, you know, let's say I have an NYPD guy on my team, which later on I did go back into the city to work. There was a lot more action in there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but what was great about that was where, where let's say, um, there's a murder in the Bronx and, uh, the detective who's assigned to the case, uh, they identify the guy and, um, you know, we work it up and find out the guy's in, uh, Idaho, you know, just to throw out a weird state there. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with you Idaho folks, <laughs> but you know. that's a very out of the way place for a criminal <laughs> yeah. to hide. Correct. But yeah. they do, yeah. you know. They would hide inside a hollow TV if they can, and, mm. and we could get to some of these stories later. Um, so, so the thing is, where the detective 
let's say he finds a, a, a credible lead out in Idaho or Iowa or wherever, uh, you know, it, it's like jumping through hoops. You know, he's not, he can't travel out there right. without special permission. So what we do is the people that are on our task force, we deputize them as special deputy U.S. marshals, which gives them the authority and power to cross state lines to go after their guy mm, yeah. under the federal umbrella of the task force. So, um, you know, it cuts out a lot of red tape. You know, we give them money to travel. You know, they'll go with us. We'll go there. We'll hook up with the locals in that area, and we'll make the hit and hopefully the arrest. Right, right. So, you know, it, it, it was it's very advantageous, you know, uh, breaking down the walls like, you know, FBI, um, not to bash any agency, but, you know, we kind of encompass everybody. We bring everybody in. We share every bit of information we have. When you're on our team, you're one of us, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't hide anything. We're not glory hounds. That's why uh, a lot of people um, – Forget that there is the U.S. Marshals right, still you don't out really there. Really hear about them compared to the correct, FBI correct, because we're a smaller agency. So let's go back over two hundred years mm-hmm. and give you a brief history. Yeah, U.S. Marshals are the oldest law enforcement agency in the United States, federally speaking. No, nope. or just in general. In general. Oh, okay. They're the oldest. They were created in 1789 under the you know Judiciary Act of 1789 not long after we won our independence from the crown. Mm-hmm. So what happens is George Washington um, decides to appoint the first 13 U.S. Marshals for the first 13 states after we gained our independence. Um, prior to that, you had the sheriff, and sheriff came from the old English term, mm-hmm. and um, you know when we were colonies of England, the sheriff was the law. Right. Okay. So um, Washington came up with, okay, let's make our law enforcement now. You know, he appointed judges. They appointed U.S. attorneys, um, prosecutors and stuff, but they really had no law, nobody to enforce the law. Right. You know, so what happens is they make the first 13 U.S. Marshals to combat um, whatever crime at that time was prevalent, okay? So, you know, you had a lot of counterfeiting going yes. on. Um, there was no Secret Service. Right. You had um, sedition, people that were still kind of loyal to the crown. Yeah. Okay? So as the nation grew and expanded, the U.S. Marshals grew and expanded to cover the territories, and that brings you to the Old West. That's what I think everyone thinks of when they think of a U.S. Marshal, like the Old West. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what, you know, some of the icons in Hollywood, you know, were U.S. Marshals, you know, James Arnaz, you know, uh, Matt Dillon, (laughs) you know, all these uh, great gunfighters back then, Uh, Wyatt Earp, you know, know, just lives in infamy. So as as the country expanded and... The um, territories grew; they were the badlands. Right. Okay. There was no federal jurisdiction. No, they weren't even part of the country. There, there was nothing. Right. There was just lawlessness. Mm-hmm. You know. So the U.S. Marshals, you know, went out there and rode on the horse and tracked down the bad guys, like right. just like Clint Eastwood when he was in that movie, um, the hang when when he uh, hang him high, I believe it yeah. was. Maybe sounds about right. Yeah, one of them. Uh, where Judge Parker and Judge Parker was a real true 
federal judge, they called him the hanging judge. Mm. And you'd have to, and then there was the first black ever uh, deputy U.S. marshal. His name was Bass Reeves, a legend. And you guys, if you really want to see an interesting character, you got to look this guy up. He was wild. He actually arrested his own son for murder. Oh. Yeah, tracked him down and, and, and brought him to justice. Um, really a, a, a very interesting person. But, you know, uh, like I said, you know, as the as the country expanded and there were new crimes and new laws, it was the U.S. Marshals, and a lot of people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, forward up a little bit to um, the Prohibition days. Now, there was no... You know, ATF agency yeah, back then. They weren't created. <laughs> they weren't created. weren't even thought of. Yeah. But they had the revenues. Right. But they had no arrest authority. They didn't even carry a gun. They were regulatory agencies. Regulatory, law correct. So when they had to go out to find the stills or make an arrest, the U.S. Marshals would have to go with them. Hmm. And now another interesting fact also, um, let's go to Lincoln. That Let's go into that era. The U.S. Marshals, there was no Secret Service. So it was either the military and the U.S. Marshal that would protect the president. Okay, so it just so happens the night Lincoln got assassinated, he was friends with the U.S. Marshal, whether it was um, the U.S. Marshal appointed for Washington, D.C., or Virginia, one of them two, I don't recall. Um, however, he was very close with uh, with uh, Lincoln, and... Um, he gave him the night off. Huh. He said, nah, I got the, I got to, I'm going to be in the theater. There's going to be a million uh, army guys there. Yeah. Take the night off. You know, I got an assignment for you anyway. And he sent the marshal on. And, started, and, and that opens up a whole bunch of conspiracy, you know, theories. Of and course. All that, which is interesting. And what happens? Lincoln gets whacked. So they decide to, uh, you know, create the Secret Service. Now, there's another interesting fact back in the 30s or whenever, um, Hoover was, you know, like an investigator for the U.S. Attorney's Office. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, Hoover, they they were like, um, I I guess you would say they would do uh, any kind of investigative uh, techniques that the U.S. Attorney's Office would need to to help their case along, um, but they had no arrest authority. They had no statutory authority at all. They were just an investigative agency? They were just an investigative arm of the U.S. Attorney's Office. Okay. But, you know, uh, Hoover with his big ego. um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Pretty infamous on that one. So, you know, it it so happened that whenever the FBI had to go out to do an investigation or possibly make an arrest, they had to bring the U.S. Marshals with them, Mm. okay, because they had no statutory authority. They didn't even carry a weapon until one of their agents got killed because he went out alone or he was doing some interviews. And um, so then they, you know, uh, they approached uh, the government, I I guess you would say, and, uh, you know, wanted to become a federal agency, a bona fide federal agency, which they did, and um, the rest is history. Yeah. So, um, you know, just a few interesting facts. So, you know, the problem was, and I don't know if it was good or bad, but as the country expanded and the laws expanded and new agencies were created, the U.S. Marshals kind of started to fade from the old glory of the gunslinging West mm-hmm. to kind of like obscure. I mean, when I came on, I was like, U.S. Marshals? I mean, and when did you come on? I, well, I, I started back in 84 
with the Bureau of Prisons. I was on the list for the FBI, and uh, I took the test. I, I, uh, I did well on the test. Uh, and I also, in the interim, I put in for U.S. Marshal. Now, there was a thing going on around that called the Graham Rudman, which was like a, a continuing resolution. The government was broke, didn't have money. They weren't really hiring. So I said, you know what, let me, let me put in for this job with the Bureau of Prisons. At least I get my foot in the door federally. Yeah. Not realizing the Federal Bureau of Prisons is not like an, an agent job, okay? So what happens is I, I do a couple years there, and then I get called by the U.S. Marshals because I did take the test. And the day I accepted and got my orders to go down, this was in 86, late 86, uh, to go down to uh, start my uh, training in Glencoe, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, um, the FBI calls me. So the problem with the FBI is they're in what's called the exempted service. So I, I wanted to stay on Long Island, you know, New York area. Um, so I got the Brooklyn office, which is the Eastern District of New York. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the FBI could send you anywhere in the country. I was still young yet. I, I really didn't want to travel, you know, and, um, you know, make a new home in, uh, you know, Tennessee or something like that, which I'm sorry I didn't now because Tennessee <laughs> is beautiful. But, you know, so... so Basically, when I came on, um, you know, it was it was uh, it was a good time because uh, I got totally into the warrants, the fugitive investigations. Now, the U.S. Marshals have the broadest law enforcement authority of any agency. Okay. They go anywhere. Um, they uphold all the court orders, all the laws, uh, all the fugitive uh, apprehension responsibilities. Um, we take off apprehension responsibilities for the DEA when they can't find somebody. And I think they signed the MOU, a memo of understanding with the ATF, um, uh, to also go after some of their fugitives too. Right. So you're like, not for nothing, but like you're like the dog they sent out to go find the guys. And they, it, like, it seems like the U.S. Marshals, especially today nowadays, you're the guys that's got to go find the worst of the worst. And then the DEA, the ATF, the FBI, they just do the investigatory investigatory work get everything together for prosecution and you got to present the guy there you go so it, that's and, i guess that's how uh u.s marshal service differs from other law enforcement agencies today you guys are that's why you have such broad i, I don't want to say powers but i guess jurisdiction because you have to be able to go to idaho to get this guy so that way they can prosecute him in new york and like you said it's the worst of the worst people and i guess that's kind of why they give you that just broad jurisdiction, like this guy's a terrorist, this guy's a murdering rapist. It's like, well, yeah, go get him. Like, do whatever you got to do, kind of. That's <laughs> yeah, that's very astute of you. You know, I mean, I don't know whether you did your homework or you're just that bright, but a little bit. Uh, no, but that's uh, that's excellent. That's a great, you know, that's a great way to sum it up. You know, where where that where we are basically the bounty hunters mm -hmm. for the government, right? Okay, right. Um, so you, you know, you summed it up. Perfectly. Yeah. We are the enforcement arm of the courts, of the federal courts. We are the enforcement arm of the U.S. government. Right. Yes, if they can't so. get the guy, they can't prosecute him. So the exactly. laws at that point then... And the beauty of it is we don't have to, you know... Uh, now, the Marshal Service has many different functions. But, um, you know, and, and you know, you just don't walk in to the office and say, yeah, I want to be on the fugitive squad. Mm. No, don't work that way, you know. Okay. You're going to get assigned. You're going to do court security you're going to do hooking and hauling. You're going to do process serving. 
You know, there's a lot of things. You're going to do federal protection, protection of the judiciary. That was going to be my next question. Aside from, let's just say, bounty hunting and going, Mm. like what are some other jobs that the U.S. Marshals perform? Like, for example, most people might not know the Secret Service investigates counterfeiting, and that's like a big thing that they do now, counterfeiting U.S. money and currency. What other types of jobs do the U.S. Marshals do aside from, let's just say, kicking down doors and getting bad guys? Well, of course, one of the hardest things, you know, you you could – be a DEA agent or, or an ATF agent and, you know, do your, your invest, investigation, um, which is all, you know, fine and good, you know, and some of them are very, very detailed um, investigations. But when you have to go out and find somebody and all you might have is a name and a photo maybe or not even a photo, mm-hmm. um, that's the hardest part of the job because, you know, you you're going on basically – limited information at, at times, uh, you know, and I'm talking about pre-cell phone days, pre-social media days when yeah. I started. Um, you know, we had one computer and, and we, you know, could only pull up, uh, you know, the guy's driver's license and yeah. things like that. So a lot of it was like the old movies of the 40s and 50s, you know, the old gumshoe detectives knocking on doors, canvassing areas, doing interviews, you know, th- things of that nature. Um, you know, when... The cell phones came out, you know, social media, computers and stuff, uh, where you could get IP addresses, start tracking phone, things of that nature. Um, you know, the electronic surveillance units uh, come into play. And it makes things a lot easier because, um, you know, you, you have more tools at your disposal. Do you think the criminals of today, let's just say, are better off or worse off now because of all the technology that you guys have? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a game. It, it, it's a game. Um, are they better off? I don't think so. I think, honestly, we're better off mm-hmm. because some of them are just so damn stupid that, you know, that they, they just can't. It's an addiction. They Listen, if you're going to be a true fugitive, you have to go off the grid. Right. Completely off the grid. And it's hard for people to do nowadays. It, it's very hard. You know, like I said, you know, the world has gotten a lot smaller now, mm-hmm. okay, where, you know, you're, you're you're addicted to your phone. Well, you know what? At some point in time, we're going to get on to that. Right. It might take a day. It might take a week. It might take a month. Bring us back a ways to one of my cases. <clears throat> Guy escapes from a Virginia road gang in 1950. His name is Charles Kellyer. I get a lead from our people down in Virginia, and they're like, um, hey, we think uh, we're getting a hit on this guy's um, car registration. He's up in ba- he's up in Brooklyn. So they send a lead to me, and this is what propelled me into the warrant squad. You know, prior to that, and I just want to step back a second, prior to that, you know, you come into the district, you know, you get to wear your nice little suit, you know, you'll go up to court with the prisoners, you know, boring. Half the time you're, you're ready to nod out, you know, boring stuff. And and like with us, we don't have to do that in the future squad. We go, here's your prisoner. We found him. See you. See you later. <laughs> do a post-arrest re- report. Yeah. See you later, bye. So we don't have to deal with sitting in court unless 
we come up with different, like, let's say we hit the house and there's a cachet of guns and drugs. Right, more evidence that right. you have to testify. And, and a lot of times we'll bring in that agency. Hey, we found all these guns. Yeah, it's, it, it, here's, here's your present with a bow on top. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but, on a silver platter. Yeah, here you correct, go. Yeah. correct. But we would have to go testify to right. that. But, you know, we don't have to sit in court for hours making a case. We don't make the case. Right. We'll close the case for you. So what happens is, you don't get you, you just don't walk into the future squad. You gotta make your bones. Mm-hmm. They'll give you a few cases, ground ball type cases, get your feet wet, you know, you'll learn from the older guys, you know, how to do an fugitive type investigation and move on from there. Um so um what we have is within the Marshal Service we have what's called a collateral lead. So if you down in Virginia are working a case and this was a state case but we were helping out the Virginia Department of Corrections clean up some of their old stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you had a case and you had a lead up in New York, you would say you call up somebody you know in the Brooklyn office or just send the lead and it'll be assigned, which it was in my case. And they showed, they showed me, this is 1990 now. This guy escaped from a Virginia road gang. Just They, they were thinking about making a, like a movie about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Just like Cool Hand Luke. Hey, boss, boss, uh, I got to go pee, you know? Okay, go to the bushes there, you know? And the guy took off. Oh, wow. Went through the swamps of Virginia, hit out. He broke into a house. And it just so happened to be one of the judge's houses. <laughs> he stayed at that, that the judge was away oh, on vacation. Who would think to check the judge's house if they're looking for a fugitive? Rifled through his bar, cleaned out all his booze, <laughs> right? And the judge was more pissed off because he stole all his booze yeah. than anything else and disappeared. Mm. For 40 years, this guy disappeared, so, which is uh, pretty wild. So they send the lead up, and it's this little skinny kid uh, with black hair, with a, like, a, like a, a lucky strike hanging out of his mouth. With the white T-shirt rolled up with the pack of butts in it. You know, yeah, something like out of a James movie. Dean type movie, you know? Yeah, Fonzie. Yeah, Fon- yeah, exactly. Looked like the Fonz. And like, you're going to f- find this guy. Like, you got to be kidding me. You got <laughs> 40 a, years yeah. old, yeah. Right. So the fun thing about it was um, the marshal. Now, you know, the marshal is the head guy. Then you have the chief deputy, you have supervisor, then you have the deputies like that. So, you know, the the joke around the office was, um, oh, yeah, 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 you're sure. You're going to find this guy. Uh, the guy. You don't even know what the guy looks like. You know, mm-hmm. and this is before we had age enhancement software to see what the guy possibly could look like nowadays. Right. right. So anyway, so um, the marshal comes walking by. He start, and he was, a, he was an old-time U.S. marshal, you know, from uh, promoted from uh, – well, he wasn't promoted. He retired from the NYPD as a detective down in the Coney Island area. You know, gravelly voice, you know, old school NYPD guy. And he's like, uh, yeah, you're going to find this guy. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make a bet, Marshall? Mm. Now, I wasn't in the fugitive squad. I was, uh, I was rotating in. They, they have deputies that wrote. They have a warrant squad made of five or six, seven guys. Your seasoned old time is that, you know, do that. That's their dedicated job, yeah. the Fugitive Squad. Each district has one. So they also let you rotate in for a month or two as a deputy to, to clean up some of the cases you have uh, along with your other work. So I was a rotator. 
So I go, um, you want to make a bet, Marshall? He goes, you want to bet me? I go, well, you know, you said I can't find this guy. I go, how about if I find this guy before my rotation is up, you promote me full-time into the war squad? He looked at me, and he goes, uh, he's, you know, he's smoking his uh, cigarette there, and he's blowing the smoke in my face, and he's like, uh, and this is when you used to be yeah. able to smoke in the office, and our office looked like a, a scene out of Barney Miller. You know, the old desk, the pea green walls, with oh, okay. the snot hanging off the wall, you know, crap all over the place. Ash, cigarette ashes, uh, trays filled with ashes. You know, these old timers smoking cigars. I mean, uh, forget the old rotary telephone. So he looks at me and goes, Well, what's in it for me if you lose the bet? So I'm like, If I lose the bet, I'll sit in court till my ass bleeds the rest of my career. <laughs> He looked at me and he goes, you're on, right? I'm like, okay. So working the case, find out the information that they sent me from Virginia was a registration that was old. Hmm. So every day, you know, I would go across the street. When I come in in the morning, I'd get my, my, my coffee, my little scrone, and I'd go to the Nispen computer, and uh, I'd run up his address and stuff and, you know, his registration and license, and sure enough, you know, nothing. We'd go stake out the address where the car was previously registered, and, of course, it's a bar. Oh, but we don't want to go into the bar yet and spook anybody. So what we do is we, um, we go to the postal inspectors, who I knew, and uh, I told him, I go, listen, I go, you know, is there any way we could see if this guy's getting mail there, you know? So they go, how about we do this? So he goes, come on over here. They open up a vault. They put on these white gloves. And he takes out these coins, like commemorative coins. And he goes, we're going we're gonna to put these pristine coins in this envelope. And it's going to be specially delivered to that address with his name. And then we'll, if he does accept it, we'll be able to pull the prints mm. off the signature. We'll have our lab check the prints, blah, 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 and then you'll know he's in there or whatever. Because we were staking the place out for days and days. Now, we didn't, uh, we didn't see anything. We didn't want to go in there and blow it up at that point in time. So they sent it out, but they never got a hit back. So somebody got a free coin set. But, okay. but it, was, it was a cool little idea, um, which didn't pan out. So now getting close to uh, the end of my rotation. And I'm like, oh, geez, what an asshole I was. <laughs> a little overzealous, but, you know. I'm going to be sitting and freaking hooking and hauling the rest of my life. So Halloween of 1990, my last day was a Friday. I'll never forget it. And I walk in, and I, everybody's, what's the matter? What's the matter? I go, oh, I'm, I'm screwed, you know, I'm screwed. I go down to the computer. I go, I have one last shot, and I type in his name. Bingo! He just registered the car. Oh, wow. I'm like, holy shit. He used his actual name to register it? Yeah. Back then, I guess you could do that because there was no, like, instant or computer system to... This ain't like NCIS, yeah. you know, <laughs> they, they show satellite things. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm like, holy crap, I almost spilled my coffee all over the place. I go, what's the matter, what's the matter? I go, oh, I'm going out of my mind, right? 
So now <laughs> I look and it's the same address. Oh, okay. So now you got a reason to go in there. Well, I I had the reason to go in there anyway. Okay. But there's no car there. Mm. Yeah, because we staked out the place. Right. It was a station wagon, like a a '74 Country Squires, whatever the hell it was. We had no reason to go in there because we at that point. But now that it was my last day, I could blow it up if I want. Right. But I didn't want to blow the case for you know because I'm not I'm married to this case now. Mm-hmm. So it ain't just because I, I didn't find him doesn't mean the case is going away. Right. You know, the case goes away when you as a fugitive die. Mm. Okay. So yeah. all of a sudden I'm looking at the printout and I see an insurance, an insurance code number. I'm like, I look at the old previous one because I had a whole stack of paper on this guy now. It's a different number. Oh, that's weird. All the previous was was like one one one, every one that I ever ran every single day to see if he would re-register. Because the only reason why I was checking that is because his registration was up in October. Oh, so he had to re-register. It he anyway. had to re-register, yeah. right? But you know, from the beginning of time that I rotated in, it was just um, you know one 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 stack of papers. So all of a sudden now, I, and I'm just throwing this number out yeah. there arbitrary. I look and I see insurance code one one two or whatever. I'm like, oh, that's different. That's different. So I look up what carrier that is, and it's all state. Hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah. So I don't remember so, what it was. State yeah. Farm, all state, whatever. Um, Geico, I don't know. So I'm like, oh wow. So I call up Geico, and I tell him, hey, listen, you're a federal agent. You know, I'm doing an investigation. Um, well, we can't give you any information without a subpoena. I go, okay. I go, uh, before I have a federal judge down in Virginia make you guys travel down to Virginia to show, an, and I just made this yeah. up, you know, uh, in order to show cause, can you, don't, can you just tell me one thing? And she goes, if I can. It was nice, you know. So I go, and I could have got a subpoena like that. Yeah. I just didn't want to have to run upstairs to the U.S. Attorney's Office, get a subpoena, blah, 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 then serve it and all that, mm-hmm. and then wait for them to get off their ass to give us the information. So I go, listen, I go, is there a, is there a different address than 125, blah, blah, blah? And she goes, yes. I go, okay, thank you. That's all I need to know. So one of the deputies, uh, Tony Patron, <laughs> her husband was in the insurance business. Yeah. And I knew that because I was friends with her. And I go, Tony, I go, can you ask uh, your husband to, uh, she goes, yeah, no problem, no problem, right? So she gives the information to her husband. He does his thing, calls her back, goes, yeah, goes, living on uh, 123 Fort Hamilton Parkway, you know, in Brooklyn. I'm like, oh, shit, never had that address before. Cool. So now we go out there. It's Halloween now. <laughs> we go out there. I was so excited. I ran out of the office without even my gun. I didn't even take my <laughs> oh, gun out. Of the, yeah, that's how excited I was. Um, and, you know, I had a team of guys with me. So we get out there, and uh, I, I, we had these old Motorola phones that look like a big brick. <laughs> yeah. And they roam all over the place. Uh, you know, this is pre, you know, before, you know, the advent of these uh, newer cell phones and flip phones. It was, it was like a brick. But I took her with me anyway, and the plan was I was going to have this woman, Mary, who's a supervisor. Now, everybody's in the squad room, unbeknownst to me, 
but they told me later on because it's like a, a movie playing out. Mm -hmm. So I go, Mary, do me a favor. Before I get to the door, I want you to call this number and ask for Mr. Charles Kelly. I want you to ask him, tell him you're Mary from Allstate. Tell him that I'm going to be listening on the other phone. A th we'll do a three-way, which we were able to do. Um, I go, tell, tell this guy that you're Mary from Allstate. Um, you know, you just... Uh, just want to review a few things on his insurance application, just so I know it's really him. Right. If he answers the phone. So she goes, well, what do you want me to say? Just, just ask him, confirm his date of birth, where he was born. Yeah, that's a big issue. Yeah, that, that was what I wanted to know. So uh, we'll be at the door listening on the phone. So she calls up, and all of a sudden he answers the phone. He <laughs> goes, oh, hi, I'm looking for Mr. Charles Kelly. Yeah, this is Mary from Allstate. He goes, oh, hi, Mary from Allstate. You know, what can I do for you? He goes, I'm just reviewing your application, um, you know, for the insurance application. We're going to be mailing you out your insurance cards very shortly, blah, 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 you know. So I just want to know, um, you know, what you confirm your date of birth. And he's like, ah, oh, blah, 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 1930, whatever it was, 39, 40. Um, uh, what was your previous address? Uh, so he gives a couple different addresses in New York. Uh, one was the bar. And then she's like, um, well, you know, okay, where was your uh, state of, of birth? And he's like, oh, what? <laughs> uh, Virginia. Um, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, Roanoke, whatever it was. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay. The dude, yeah. She's like, well, I got a few more questions. I'm like, I don't need any more questions, Mary, but I can't say that over the phone. I don't want right. to say that over the phone. So now, I, I said, screw it. I go, he's in there. So I knock on the door. And he's like, uh, oh, somebody's at the door, Mary. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? Don't worry about it. Uh, so now I, I'm like, now he's in there. I go, I'm saying to myself, hang up the friggin' <laughs> phone, you dope, you know? And she's still asking him stupid questions. Yeah. So finally, I start pounding on the door. He goes, who is it? I go, Trick or treat, mister. If you don't open the door and give us some candy, we're going to egg your whole house. You know, he goes, I got to go, Mary. There's some kids there. They're going to vandalize my house. Bye, bye, bye. He opens up the door, and there's five guys with guns pointed mm. at him. And the headlines the next day was, Fugitive of 40 Years Finds Halloween is No Prank. Because they came in like gangbusters. They didn't even let me put my teeth in my mouth. <laughs> so they shipped his ass off to Virginia where he had to owe. And I felt bad for the guy. Now, you know, I mean, I really felt bad for him. He was clean all these years. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, hey, it, it, the warrant never goes away. Right. So they just... sent him down to Virginia. I guess I don't know what happened. I lost track of it. I know he had to do a little bit of time, and I think the governor uh, just gave him a pardon uh, for his age and that he was never arrested. Kept after. clean. Yeah. yeah that. So, so that's just some of the fun stuff. Uh, d during the riots in L.A., we were out there. Mm. Um, the, the 90, the 92 yeah, riots yes, out there? Yep, oh, yep, yep. Yes, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that was, that was a big crazy thing, you know. Um, for, for people who might be listening, who might be younger, um, back in the early 90s, California was kind of a wild place, and there was a lot of riots going on in uh, L.A., specifically, like, like what you've seen in 2020 during, you know, all the things that were going on in Kenosha and everything, but it was way worse. If you ever want to see some messed up shit, look up Reginald Denny. That's the video of Reginald Denny. That's all you really need to see. Also, obviously, Rodney King, who I think everyone should know. But um, it was a really unstable place at the time in the early 90s. They were burning Koreatown. It was gunfights in the streets. It was, 
It was a lot of stuff going on. So you were there on the ground in, in yeah. L.A.? Wow. What but, was, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. That was, that was interesting. The president um, called us up and uh, said, listen, one of the duties of the U.S. Marshal is, you know, one, one Marshal, one riot. That, mm. that was the old saying back in the day. Um, but one of the duties of the U.S. Marshals is to restore order. Right. A, uh, for civil unrest, okay. Now so, I guess they use the National Guard. For yeah, that, to they some do. Degree, well, we, you know, we we're we're deputized where we don't, you know, you know, the National Guard they were out there, and <clears throat> I felt so bad for these guys because we would stage up every night. You know, the president ordered us out there, mm -hmm. so they sent the elite warrant squad units out there. Okay, right. so we went out there. You know, I had a, um, you know, my sidearm. And I carried a little uh, 870 Remington pump. Nice. We used to call it the Whitsec gun. Um, it, me, Whitsec was short for witness security. Mm -hmm. Or as Hollywood likes to use it, the witness protection program. Okay. But that, uh, just to, to school your viewers, um, your listeners, sorry, I've just been on TV. I don't do radio too much, but um, a podcast. But uh, just to school your, your, your listeners, is when you see, oh, we're going to put them in the witness protection program. That's a made-up name by Hollywood. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. The <laughs> real term is witness security program. Okay. And, um, or what we call WITSEC. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, they had these little, the WITSEC had neat shit because uh, they had the Uzis, fully oh. auto, <laughs> selectifier. Yeah. Um, and uh, they had the uh, these little short shotguns. I yeah, mean, those are cool. They, yeah, very cool. Um so I used to carry that on a sling mm. under, under my uh, raid jacket or whatever. But uh, they sent this out there to restore order. And uh, when we went out there, it was just such a mess. Yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. We had no equipment, Yeah, no cars. We would stage up in this, um, um, by the Coliseum there, uh, a bus depot. We took over the whole bus depot. There were stacks of Pringles potato chips and K-rations. And, bo and bottles of water um, for us to eat and, yeah. you know, uh, Pringles potatoes. <laughs> so what I, and, and other, there were other assortment goodies, you know, cookies, you know, things of that nature and stuff. So um, it would give us a police cruiser. Hmm. It's like so, a big target. <laughs> so it, No, but you know, they had no cars or nothing. We had no cars. So it was cool, though, because I was driving around like uh, one Adam 12 in a, in a, <laughs> in a black and white. It was oh, neat with cool. that little light they hang in the window, right? And we were like, you know, we'd come through the intersection, clear right, Malloy, you know. Okay, Reed, you know. Um, those are the characters in one Adam 12. And, uh, you know, we what we did was we would do curfew um, checks. Mm -hmm. So we're driving down, and um, um, I see this National Guard they're standing at a post. They have a out, an outlaying perimeter uh, post outside of L.A. Um, I think they were watching a, a, a water, water work or something like that. And I pull up to them and, um, you know, I'm like, hey, guys, you know, how are you doing? They, they look like they haven't slept in, in years. They're all disheveled. <laughs> and they're holding M16s yeah. or ARs, whatever they had at that time. And, um, yeah, goes, hey, you got anything to eat? And I go, you know what, I'll be back in a little while, right? So uh, they weren't allowed off their post. Mm. There was like three or four guys. 
Then I found out they had no bullets. What? Yeah, they gave them these guns, but they didn't give them any rounds. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's how much they trusted their own National Guard. Yeah, I mean, Kent State could be used as an example of that, but at the same time, when you have that kind of civil unrest, I mean, at that point, it's just a matter of self-defense. Yeah, you're not going to be shooting people in the back, but at the same time, there has to be some sort of authority. Well, why are you having somebody there to protect, um, you know, an infrastructure site if you you can't protect it? Right, right. So... We went back to the depot, I, and I we, we had them. They were the big, big cruisers at the time. I loaded up the trunk with everything I could get my hands on, and I go to all the different guys, because now I know that, that, that these guys have yeah, nothing. Don't have food, yeah. I pop the trunk. I go, guys digging. They go, wow, really? It was like Christmas time. You know, they're eating the potatoes. <laughs> I give them all some rounds. I go, here, put these in your pockets. Oh, we, yeah. can't, we can't have these. I go, stick them in your pocket. If you need it, at yeah. least you, you know, it's better to be, you know, uh, uh, judged by 12 than carried by, by six. six. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you could always just say, oh, I found them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there was some, there was some cool, cool uh, things, you know, like we, we would grab a guy, you know, for uh, throwing a Molotov cocktail something. We'd throw him in the seat. He's yeah. like, uh, you guys ain't from L.A. I'm like, nope, we're from Brooklyn. He goes, mm. you mean where? You're going to bring me to Brooklyn? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. He goes, how are we going to get there? I go, we got a helicopter. We're going to. Put you on the helicopter. He's like, I've never been on a whirly bird before. This is going to be great, you know? So we just dumped him at yeah. the precinct. So, um, you know, one night we're, uh, we, it's it's like the crack of dawn. Uh, I mean, you could start to see the dawn rising, you mm-hmm. know, the smog in the LA. Everything was burning. Yeah, yeah. They I got, you see. Town on fire. And well, they... you know, that's an interesting thing because back in uh, in the day, um, when the news would come out, it would show um, spray-painted shuttered doors and mm-hmm. stuff, and it would say, black-owned business, do not burn. So Similar would, to what was going on they would show that. two years ago. They would show that, but they would never show underneath, burn the Chinese next door. Right. You know? It was... Yeah, it was violence divided along racial lines. It, it really LA was. Between African-Americans it and really, Koreans or Asian immigrants. It, it, but you know what? Now... One more point. Um, these they had the wooden telephone poles, mm-hmm. and the eeriest sight I seen was early morning. The sun is starting to rise, and now LA is full of smog yeah. at that time. You could see the smog; it's like a fog, a hazy fog, and it, you could see the telephone poles just dangling, maybe three feet in the air, melted onto the wires, and the rest of the pole is burnt off. And it looked like dead bodies oh, in a wow. row. Yeah, it was really eerie, you know, really eerie and spooky. So, um, so we're, we're, we're driving down uh, uh, one of the streets. You know, I forgot what avenue it was, and we see way up ahead sparks. What the fuck is that? What, what the hell could that be? So now we step on it, we pull up, and there's this guy in this Datsun 240Z. We pull him over. And, you know, it's got the hatchback thing. Mm-hmm. He's got these two big, huge, like, welding alligator clips hanging out of the thing, and it was hitting the road, sparking. Hmm. So we get up to the car, and he's sitting in the car. He's smiling away. Like, there's nothing in the car except no seats. He's got a milk crate, a steering wheel, a stick shift, and his two pedals. That's it, you know? Like, the hell are you doing? You know, he goes, 
what what is that? He goes, uh, that's a, a snap-on welder. We're like, yeah, we see that. Goes, what are you doing with that? He goes, I'm a mechanic. Like, okay. We go a little further in there. Now he's got everything stuffed in there. He's got a whole thing of snap-on tools. Mm. We're like, what is this? He goes, those are my mechanic tools. Like, okay. Then we open up another box, and there's them composition notebooks, you know, the marble color ones? Yeah, black and white ones. Black and white ones? Got a whole case of them. Like, what is this? He goes, that's when I go to mechanic school to study. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, man. Then he's got a whole case of Chevis Regal. <laughs> I go, what's that? He goes, when I graduate, that's my graduation present. Chevis oh, Regal. Like, get out of He stole everything. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then we're further down the road, we see this. Red pickup truck, something right out of a movie from Sanford and Son, right? <laughs> old, old guy. <laughs> we pull him over. He's got a brand new Amano refrigerator. Still got, and we pull him over. We go, hey, Pop, what are you doing with that refrigerator? My refrigerator broke. I'm going to get it fixed. <laughs> to get a fix it still has the tape around it the energy guide labels you know the warranty and yeah. stuff yeah come on pop you're going to jail you know so um those were some of the fun things um it's but it's interesting how like little civil unrest has changed even from the 90s the 70s into today and how kind of society views okay there's something going on oh i need a new stereo or i need a new fridge or no I mean, fear. <laughs> no fear. No. That's that's the interesting but thing. You see, mob mentality. See, but the interesting thing is when you go into certain er areas, you know, of that community, the people, the working class people, whether it be black, yellow, white, whatever, they come out. They were waving to us. Yeah. You know, they were cheering us on. They didn't want this crap no. going on in there. They didn't want this bad press. They didn't want this looting. Right. Because, you know, now these people who work, they have, a, they live in a nice house, you know, the nice, beautiful, with the with the orange uh, corrugated, whatever, uh, tile yeah. on top for the roofs, you know, like the stucco houses, are beautiful, manicured lawn and all that. Now, where are they going to go to to the Genovese down the store that they burnt it down and, and looted it all? Where right. are they going to get their stuff from? Yep. So they didn't want any part of it. It was a small group of thugs. Right. Just like during the 20, uh, 20 riots or yes. whatever, you know, in Kenosha and all, yeah. all the other places. Ferguson, that were, Kenosha. Ferguson. Uh, yeah, Seattle was a mess. Oh, man. You know, we talked a lot about I, that. I don't even want to get into no, that, no, idiots. No, that's but, but what it is is, you know, they... They do not, um, the, the, the regular people do not want it, okay? You got a group of thugs that say, hey, you know what? Let, let's, let's um, you know, take advantage of this whole, you know, thing. Whether it was good or bad, let's take right. advantage of it. And let's get ourselves a couple of flat screen TVs. Let's get ourselves yeah. groceries. Let's, let's clean out the market, whatever. You know, so it's always the people that want to take advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, the true people do not riot, you know. Right. Like like Martin Luther King and stuff, they protested, they marched. Right. You know, they didn't burn and loot, you know, their own areas down. You right. know what I mean? And I have no problem with it. That that's that's your your right as an American citizen to protest. But don't stop traffic, you know. Yeah, that's something we we covered kind of extens extensively on our show here uh, and when all that stuff was going on and basically how 
somebody the the young kid uh, Kyle Rittenhouse used a rifle in self defense and how it people demonized him for that and then people were blaming the gun owners for trying to protect businesses and try to even restore some sort of order where there was no order there was no US marshals there was no police and how people were being vilified and demonized for just trying to keep things peaceful and civil um it there's I guess, like I said earlier, it's the same whether it's in the 90s or whether it's in the 2020s. It's the same kind of mindset. It's the same kind of action. But nowadays, everyone has a cell phone. Everyone's able to record it. And like you said, some people are just dumb, and they're just kind of out there for themselves to, to for personal gain in that aspect. Um, what when when you when you were in your career, there was a lot of notable cases you worked on, like you said, in L.A. and all these other things. Um, one name that pops up constantly, if you Google your name, is the Bologna train station bombing. Yeah. Can, and you said you hunted down terrorists and internationally as well. Can you talk about that? Anything sure. You could talk about well, that? there's a lot that's still classified yeah. to this day. Okay. Now, just, just getting back to you know what you were talking about just before, before I go into the Bologna, yeah. which was a very interesting case. Um, listen. Mankind's been doing this crap since the dawn of time. Yep. Okay. Boston Tea Party, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for example. <Right. laughs> I'm talking about caveman A yeah. going after caveman C's girls and, right. and, and their territory and stuff. Getting They've been fighting on. since the dawn of time. So, you know, it, it, whether it's inherent in mankind to be like that, I, I don't know. That, that's, you know, that, that's above my pay grade, you know. Yeah. But listen... And it's never going to stop. No, it's just the way it is. You know, until right. until uh, the second coming of Christ comes and uh, you know puts all these people in a hole where they belong, you know, it's, it's never going to go away, right. uh, in my view. But uh, so anyway, um, very interesting case with the uh, Bologna train station massacre. Um, uh, back in 1980, um, there was a group of terrorists called the Nuclei Revolutionary Armania. You know, they were part of like. Uh, a terrorist organization that operated out of Italy called the Red Brigade. Okay, now this is before the PLO. This is before mm. you know a- any of these other crazy uh, PLO Islamic, is a Palestine right, Liberation Organization, correct, and all that. Um, you know these people have been going on through the sixties, seventies, and all that. But at some point in time, they decided they uh, wanted to uh, get back at the government, so to speak. They so, were a politically motivated group. Yeah, politically okay. motivated. So what they did was. Um, on a Saturday afternoon, I think it was like ten thirty-five in the morning or whatever it was, they uh, and and they detonated a bomb in the Central Railway Station in Bologna, Italy. Um, killed eighty-five people, two hundred and thirty other people were seriously wounded. Um, scores and scores of people trying to get out of the trapped debris. The train, the whole train station was demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, railroad cars were demolished. Uh, it was a terrible, bloody scene. And back in eighty, you know, I don't know, I was twenty-something years old. I, I remember seeing it. it. Was it was big news? Right. It was the bloodiest um, terrorist act in Europe history at that time. So um, fast forward to uh, nineteen ninety-three, I believe it was. Um, we get a we get a request. There, there was a U.S. attorney, uh, uh, an assistant U.S. attorney named Charlie Rose, and uh, they were grooming him to become the next U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York. But Charlie Rose was one of the head prosecutors during the big mafia cases mm-hmm. of the seventies uh, and eighties and stuff like that. And he was very well known, and he would travel to Italy a lot. 
and um, hobnob with all the big shots in Italy um, to further along the cases and bring witnesses back, uh, like the witness security thing that would rat out on some of these big uh, mafia dons. Um, the pizza connection was one of them. That's a very interesting case, too, where they were actually bringing in the heroin in pizza dough. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Giuliani uh, was involved with uh, that whole, bringing that whole thing down. Yeah, you should look it up, the pizza connection. So anyway, um, what happened was uh, one of the players, a guy by the name of Stefano Procopio, um, he made it out of Italy. Now, there's this thing called the Odessa Trail. Um, it's like out of a spy novel where they would move these people, these terrorists, through different countries, fraudulent passports. Same thing you happened know. at the end of World War II with the Nazis. Correct, absolutely. Same, same thing. They yeah. That's the trail. Yeah. Still, still there. Yeah. So they would move them throughout, you know, through Greece, through this country, to that country, and uh, that's what they did with this guy, Stefano Procopio, and a couple of others. Um, what happens is Stefano Procopio makes it to a Lebanon terrorist training facility where they you know he he starts to work with them and they teach him how to use um certain weapons that he wasn't using in it <laughs> in italy i keep hitting them yeah it's all right no you know, my hands are flying when i talk um so anyway <laughs> he makes <laughs> he makes it he makes it over to um lebanon and they carry out a few more uh you know squirmishes with the uh with the Palestinians, the, with the Christian group. Um, but this was all later found out. This was found out later on uh, what happened. So uh, supposedly him and another guy, they, they make it to France. There's a shootout with some police. A police officer gets killed. And uh, one guy gets caught. One guy gets killed. And this guy, stuff. the other guys, the, the whole organization gets arrested. But Stefano Procopio is gone. Mm. So, uh, he'd been one of their most wanted since 1980. So, 1993, I'm getting ready to walk out of it. I believe it was 93. I'm getting ready to walk out of the office. It's like 5.30. I'm going, let me get the hell out of here. <coughs> and the phone rings, and, uh, you know, I go, should I answer it or should I not, you know? I pick it up. I go, yeah, U.S. Marshals Squad, can I help you? You know, U.S. Marshals Warrant Squad, can I help you? And he goes, hey, uh. Charlie Rose upstairs. I go, hey, Charlie, what's up? It's Craig. He goes, oh, how you doing? He goes, hey, I got something interesting. Uh, I think I need your help on it, you know? So I'm like, yeah, what do you got? You know, he goes, can I come down? I go, yeah, I was getting ready to leave, but yeah, no, come down, right? So he comes down, and, you know, he's got this whole folder, and he goes, listen, he goes, this could make your career, you know? And I'm like, where am I going? I, <laughs> leave me alone, you know? Um he goes, uh, this guy's an Italian terrorist. You know, we pull it up, all the information. I go, wow, this is interesting. I never worked a terrorist case before, you know. So he goes, yeah, he's one of the most wanted men in Europe, you know. Okay, cool, you know. I go, what do you got? He goes, well, he goes, uh, we, we, we know where the mother is, you know, and we think the mother is definitely in touch with her son. Of course, it you know? stands to reason. Yeah. So I'm like, you got her phone number? He goes, yeah. You know where she lives? They go, yeah. But he ain't he ain't around in Italy. So I go, no shit, you know. <laughs> he got out of there. <laughs> right? So he goes, you guys want to run with this? He goes, we tried using customs, and uh, they didn't come up with anything. Now, this was an Interpol red notice, okay? Interpol 
if you know what Interpol yeah. is, it's, you know, uh, international police organization. So they put out what's called a red notice that he's wanted, and, um, you know, they will extradite, blah, blah, blah. So we had that, and Charlie's like, don't worry about any of that crap. You know, we'll take care of all that stuff. Just, just see if you can find this guy. I go, what makes you think he's here, you know? I mean, I'm not going, you know, I have no authority to go to uh, Greece or whatever. That 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 would be there, you know. Uh, pre. So anyway, so I go, you know what we're going to do? I go, who's got money? You know, she goes, what do you mean? I go, well, you know, the phone company charges money to do certain things. Uh, I want to hang a reverse trap and trace on the mother's phone. Hmm. And I want to see where she's calling and who she's calling. And this could take months of, you know, data coming in, a pen register, all that stuff. So he goes, done. He goes, I'll draw up the order, and I'll have the Italian authorities draw up their order, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, great. So we get that done. Jeez, no, no sooner than a couple of days we see all these f overseas phone calls from the mother's phone going to two addresses, one in the Bronx and one in uh, lower Manhattan on Greenwich Street. Hmm. So we're like, ah, interesting. So now I'm in touch with the Italian, I think they called them the Cabinari or something, you know, the Italian police. And uh, they were like, hey, uh, would you mind if we uh, send a couple investigators to the U.S., you know, help you guys work on the case? So, you know, I told my bosses, you know, what's going on. They're like, no, run with it. You've got mm -hmm. carte blanche, especially if Charlie Bros is involved. Right. So make a long story short, you know, we set up surveillance at, at two of the locations. And we noticed uh, a female in the Bronx. She had a Jeep with Jersey plates. We run her. We come up with her name. She's not wanted. She's nothing, nothing particular about her. Um, but we still don't know the connection. Mm -hmm. So now we, we, we set up a little surveillance on. Um, he was on Greenwich Street. We set up a little surveillance there. And um, we see a guy that kind of fit his description you know he was uh, had a beard um looked like a terrorist believe it or <laughs> if not. a terrorist had to look yeah, like yeah, somebody the, the, the terrorist look it'd be a creepy vibe yeah yeah he, he was like the uh islamic uh, italian version you okay. know with the beard and scruffy looking guy and uh we kind of get a make on a guy that looks like him but he gets into a taxi cab and there's like a sea of yellow yeah and we were like yeah we don't know which cab he got into. You know, it was like a last-minute thing. Yeah, I think I see somebody that looks like him, you know, over the radio. Okay, by the time we got there, he was gone. So what happens is um, we get another call coming in from the mother. I'm, I'm like, definitely call him. Got to mm -hmm. be calling him. It's just not too much of a coincidence that the guy that we think we've seen look like him come out of that building. Right, things got, are starting yeah, to add up. Yeah, things are starting to add up. Good, now I'm like, wow. So I go, I, I call the team, and I go, listen, I go, uh, let, let's set this up for tomorrow. Let's do this hit. I think it was May 4th, um, 1993. I go, let's, let's do this. I go, um, it's going to be a big operation. So I had like 20-something people. You know, I had, um, I, oh, and then I find out President Clinton is coming into town, and he's landing at the heliport. The which west is, side. Yeah, and this is right on the west side. So just... To cover my back, I called up the Secret Service. I go, listen, I go, you know, this is who I am. This is what we got going on. 
We have a major terrorist uh, uh, on the loose. We believe he's, you know, five minutes from the heliport. I know the president's coming into town. I don't need to know your business. Right. But we're give me a heads up. We're, give you a heads up. We're not going to stop this operation, okay? We're going to get him today. Um, so they're like, okay, thank you. We're going to supply some agents as a CAT team, which is their counter-assault team on some okay. various buildings and stuff in the area. I'm like, okay, good, very good. Um, so what happens is the address on Greenwich Street happens to be right across from Robert De Niro's restaurant mm. called uh, the Tribeca Grill, I believe it was back then. I don't even know if it's still around or if he owns it or not. But um, the interesting thing was, um, it's like, okay, you know, there's a lot of one-way streets. So we set up cars on one-way streets facing the wrong way. We had uh, the harbor unit out there with the patrol boat with the gun on it, mm. you know. Everybody wanted to come and play. <laughs> like, okay. So you know, cool they had the they aviation yeah. unit with the helicopter, you know. Yeah. Uh, everybody wanted to be you out there. Got to impress the Italians. Right, right. Well, well, it wasn't even that. But, you know, they still didn't know what this guy was about or capable of. Right. You know, he killed 80 people. I mean, yeah, if you crazy. blow up a train station, yeah, right, yeah. What, what, he's capable of a lot of things. Right. Let's just say. So, you know, we had uh, you know, I had some friends in the DEA go, hey, you want to come out and play? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we had the uh, DEA. Um, we had uh, um, customs with us because they initially had the case that they mm. messed up, so to speak. Uh, now, how were they involved in it? Is it just because that's how we got into the U.S.? Like, Well, you know, we didn't take over the... We didn't take over the uh, Interpol program. Mm -hmm. We are the Marshal Service is the lead agency for Interpol in the United States. Okay. So any kind of country that has an Interpol uh, red notice or arrest warrant, they have to go through the marshals, and the marshals will sign investigate it to find a guy or arrest him. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so this might have happened prior to uh, us taking over the Interpol program, um, and they sent it to customs mm -hmm. and. Uh, I don't even want to get into <laughs> that whole scene. But yeah. so anyway, so now we, we set up out there. Um, I have a, a, a cup, two units up in the Bronx watching uh, the female's apartment. And the rest of us are down here in uh, lower Manhattan watching the Greenwich Street address. And uh, all of a sudden, um, what the hell happens here? Um, I get this idea. I go, hey, you know what? We really don't want to get burned. You know, we had pretty much, at the time, we had a few nondescript cars, mm -hmm. but, you know, uh, uh, some of them would seize DEA cars that we got, you know, like a Volvo, uh, um, an Audi, remember, we had a silver Audi, you know, we had a Cadillac, <laughs> we, we even had a Corvette, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but we didn't have that many, so, you know, we had Crown Vicks, we had the Chevy Typical Apollo. police right. type So cars. We, we had to kind of like <laughs> stay off the set a little bit. And then I said to myself, I go, Who's got the best view of this guy's apartment building? The Tribeca Grill. Mm -hmm. So we went in there and we uh, said, listen, we need a couple tables here. Give give one guy an apron, you know. <laughs> yeah, the apron. Dress him up like waiters. Yeah, the yeah. Right? So all of a sudden we get a call over the radio and uh, it was our NYPD guys. Uh, they go, hey. The female is moving. She's carrying some boxes out of the apartment. She's loading them into the Jeep. I go, okay. I go, uh, you go what do you want to do? So I go, put a tail on her. Follow her. See mm -hmm. where she goes. Right? But don't get burned. Right? So they're following her. 
down the West Side Highway, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, she, she's coming right here. She's got to mm. be coming right here. And, you know, they're calling out the coordinates. Yeah, we're passing uh, uh, 120th Street, yeah, blah, blah, going southbound, you know, the FDR, West Side Highway, whatever. No, it wasn't the FDR, but the West Side Highway. Coming down the West Side Highway, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, she's coming right here. Right. She's going to meet him, guaranteed. So all of a sudden, she pulls up right in front of the place, right? And the two got the, the two units that I had follow her, they t- fan off, you know, to the side. And now we're all sitting there watching. And I go to the guys in the Tribeca Grill. I go, you know, you got an eyeball on the place, right? You got an eyeball on the female? Go, yeah, she's, uh, she's uh, sitting in the truck not doing anything. He goes, what do you guys want to do? You want to hit the place? You know, I had a... Uh, NYPD, yes, you guys with us, and they were just itching to kick in a door and throw, <laughs> throw a flashbang grenade in, you know. So, uh, like, uh, let's just sit for a minute or two. And sure enough, he comes walking out, and the guy's in the grill, you know, the way the guy goes, it's him, I got him, you know, it's yeah. definitely him, 100%. So I'm like, okay, hit it. You see, cars, it's like out of a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Cars coming up one-way streets. You know, and, and not like in the movies with sirens. Right. Yeah, 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 that, that's so ridiculous. I don't know who these consultants are that these guys <laughs> hire, but you're not going to run up to a scene with your, to spook the guy so he could run and get a food. But we came flying up. We boxed them in. We even had um Department of Transportation, the big uh Highway trucks block oh, yeah. off the end of the block. Yeah, yeah. you know they were made Salt like they were working. Whatever, yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. It was like it was like out of a movie, you know. Yeah. So uh, he comes walking out. Uh, two of the ESU guys. I don't know where the hell they came. I don't know if they rappelled in from a rope or whatever, but they swooped down on the guy and he started to struggle with them. They threw him underground, cuffed him up. The girl they cuffed her up. Um, oh, and I made the call. I said, you know what? Let's hit it now before he gets his hand on these boxes because we don't Whatever's know what, in them, yeah. what. So now the bomb squad comes. I mean, it's a scene. Um, bomb squad comes and they're going, you know, with the boxes and doing their thing with the dogs and everything. And it, it, it ended up just being clothing and stuff, oh. you know. Yeah. So uh, we picked the guy up, you know, we tell him, you know, game's over and, you know. U.S. Marshals, you know, you're going back to Italy. You're done, pal, you know. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, it ain't me, it ain't me. I go, no, it's, it's you. you. Yeah. Right. So he finally, once we got him in the car, he, conf- you know, he said, yeah. You know. So I go, see them guys? They're your people. <laughs> yeah, go, they're not too happy yeah, with right. you right now. And, and, no, and, and they knew who he was. Yeah, you know? and, and once he seen them and they started speaking to him in Italian, you know, it game over. So as we were leaving, now that's a, that's a tourist attraction, that area. Yeah. So there's a lot of tourists go to Tribeca Grill. They, they, they get to, hope they get to see De Niro, you know, that, that, yeah. that's a liberal nut. But, uh, you know, they, they hope they get to see him and uh, – so now they're taking pictures, you know, they're flashing pictures with their little their, their cameras. There was a lot of Japanese people there with the camera. And they're like, uh, when's Robert De Niro coming out? And I go, oh, and, and then at the end when we arrested him, everybody's clapping in the street. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell's going on? They think it's a movie being filmed. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I yeah. mean it seems so crazy that all that right. would be happening. Yeah. Well, you know, because you see the rage, you know, once everybody, t- there's U.S. Marshals, NYPD, DEA, Customs, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. 
So <laughs> one, of the, one of the people come up to tourists and they're like, oh, is Robert De Niro going to be in this movie? I go, oh, yeah, he's getting his makeup put on for the scene, next scene. He'll be out shortly. <laughs> and they're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. They're telling everybody. Stay. And we just we were laughing our heads off and we just drove away. And um, <clears throat> So the next day, um, the Italian authorities, they commandeered Air Italia and they sent over their crew with the doctor. And I'm like, what do you, what do you got a doctor? He goes, in that bag, there's a needle this big. Mm. <laughs> he goes, it'll go right through the seat if he acts up or something like that. But he was caught. He was. He was. He was actually a good. I guess at that point he was caught. There was he, nothing, there's he, nothing could he could do. Nothing he, he could accomplished do. He accomplished his mission already. Right. So there's no furtherance of him being a, a right a criminal. Right. He already did what he had to do. But if you look him up, you can't find anything on him. Mm. I found an obscure passage, um, and. Like I said, uh, a lot of what went on and a lot of how we found them, and there's some more stuff that I just don't feel comfortable yeah, talking about how we yeah. did it with certain other alphabet agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the CIA, <coughs> uh, you know, <laughs> they, they, were, they were very uh, you know, yeah. in, involved, of course, with MI6, you know, British intelligence, yeah, all whatever, that all that stuff, which is still remains classified today. Mm. So, um, my belief, and I really don't give a crap um, what I say. I'm retired. I can do what I want. But, you know, I try and, you know, I try and, I don't want to put other law enforcement. That's why I'm very careful of how we do things without putting it out there completely mm-hmm. because, you know, I have to protect my brothers and sisters. I still want the job working. Right. But, you know, a, a lot of a lot of stuff is still classified over in Europe about this whole group and what went what what went on and certain government officials, right. things like that. So How my belief funded. my belief is that they flipped this guy. Okay. You know, and put him in some kind of program to get testimony, but nobody'll ever say that. Um and I don't even know if it's true. It's just yeah. that it's just that I found it very odd that it's very hard like like everything's been cleaned, mm. whitewashed, you know, yeah. something like an intelligence agency would do, right. you know, it doesn't exist anymore. He's so. a big fish, but there's an even bigger fish. There was a big, oh no, there was the head guys, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. Yeah. He was one of the, he was, he was up there, right? but you know, he, he was a soldier. So what happened to him when he went back to Italy? Did he, but that, that, oh, we don't, don't even know. know if he got life in prison. We don't know. Okay. That's the thing. Much of it remains classified to this day, mm. you know? That's so, interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. So it was a good case, you know. Um, it was fun, you know, uh, especially meeting the, uh, especially when you meet as a law enforcement agents from different countries, mm-hmm. you know, you start talking, um, you get to see how they work. They get to see how we work. You share intel, you share different ideas and, you know, you, you meet people. I have cards from people sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll re-hook up, I'll hook up with them, uh, on the internet, and I go, hey, I met you, uh, you know, uh, like on LinkedIn or something. I met you, uh, you know, 20 years ago uh, up in Toronto, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start to rekindle your, you know, friendship. Mm-hmm. What's going on, blah, blah, blah. So you keep in touch with people in your your field, so to speak. You know? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the most, when somebody Googles your name, that's the most notable one that comes up, that, that case that you were involved in. 
and they and even the headline in a news story that I was reading it said, "Oh, Robert De Niro helped." Yeah. You know, and yeah, exactly. It's his restaurant yeah. that right. he just. Well, had that's the author who yeah, wrote the article. Get some you know, sensationalism to, to, in correct. It. You know, to wet somebody's palate a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. Now, because this is a, I guess, a, a show centered around firearms, gun ownership, whatever. You you talk a lot about earlier when you had the L.A. riots, how you had a short shotgun and everything. Mm. Tell us a little bit about your training, like when you went down to Glencoe. Um, like, what kind of, like, firearms did you train with? And through your career, did you do anything special, any sort of unusual things? Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what kind of guns the marshals used or, or anything like that? Yeah, well, uh, it, when I came on, you you could, you were issued um, a Smith & Wesson Model 66 or 65. Mm-hmm. I think the 65 uh, were the fixed sights, and I think the 66 had the adjustable sights. That was a revolver. That was a that was a 357 mm. Magnum okay. revolver. Um, that's that was our issued gun. However, when we got back to district, as long as we qualify on whatever gun we wanted to carry, we could. But it had to be. It couldn't be a 380. You could have a 380 as a backup, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But they wanted. 38 and above, okay, and below like a 50 caliber. You know, yeah, you know. a lot of leeway there. Well, we uh, so you got a lot of gun nuts, you know, in law enforcement that, uh, and, and in a good way, I'm talking about. But you know, we, we had one guy that uh, he had, he had a he had a 44, and it was like a, a 12 inch barrel. <laughs> it was like something out of a Clint Eastwood movie. You know, yeah. the guy needed a block and tackle to get it out of the holster. Like a it was Smith so 29 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't even know, but. Uh, but uh, I, you know, when I got back to district, you know, of course, you know, you had a you had the pouch with the uh, six rounds in it. You had a couple speed loaders. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad guy wasn't carrying that anymore. No. no. So you know, I, I ended up getting a nine mil um, Smith and Western nine mil. I think it was a model four fifty nine, if I remember correctly. But I really wasn't too happy with that. I wanted a forty five. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting um, a Sig Sauer, a P220-45. Okay. And I trained on that. As long as I met my qualification, then I could carry that as They my... give you a lot of leeway in that yeah, regard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. They even buy us the ammo. For oh, us. Yeah. So I took, I took what we call the school gun. <laughs> I put it in the safe. I never looked at it for the next 30 years. Then I ended up, and I, and I had a Smith & Wesson 30, uh, not a Smith, sorry, a Colt detective special mm. with the bull barrel because yeah. we used to have we were allowed to carry these rounds they called them the treasury rounds they were issued by the department of treasury they were the p p plus plus p plus p yeah yeah plus p pluses i think yeah they, they have those too that's the ones we carried yeah. plus people the, the the law enforcement round you couldn't get them in a gun shop um so we carried that um so then i ended up getting the um uh, an H and K forty five. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a nice yeah. one. And that's what I still have. Okay. And I got a small uh, Sig Sauer um, nine mil that mm-hmm. I keep, you know, in the house, you know, and if I go out or something. So you know, that would be, like, say, I went. You know, I don't even carry a gun anymore around town or something, unless I go into the city. Yeah. If I go well, into the city, I'll carry. I'll take the nine with me. Yeah. But if I go upstate or over the road, I take my road gun, which is the. Mm-hmm. Uh, 45 okay so um but we would train with uh the shotgun mm-hmm. 870 remington pump uh that was uh, uh a duty we- weapon but not 
a weapon that everybody would use, the, the Warren Squad guys. Yeah, but but as a deputy U.S. Marshal across the board, you still had to qualify with your handgun. You'd have to qualify with any backup gun you wanted to carry. Yeah. And you like you know if I wanted to carry my Colt thirty eight on a on a uh, ankle holster, I would have to qualify with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would have to qualify with the AR fifteen. Mm, okay. okay. Yeah. What so, kind of AR fifteens were they using back then? Like there's the Colt. Yeah, like nowadays, like some other federal agent, agents that I spoke with, they have short 10.5-inch barrels, adjustable stocks. Mm, yeah. Were you guys just using something like that? Well, like in the, uh, the beginning, it looked like something out of Vietnam. Yeah, gun. okay, okay, like an A1, right. um, SP1. But later on, you know, uh, like I, I myself got the car. Yeah. You know, um, they had the bullnose barrel, you know. Um, they weren't selective fire, though. Um, you know, they were just one round. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was really some not automatic. much of a need right. for that. Not, not here in the city. Right. We really didn't use it that much because God knows if you shoot that round, where that two, yeah. two three round, or the five, what is it, the five, 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 six. Five, yeah, five, six. You know, we didn't have that back then. We had the two, we only used the two, two, three round. Right. But um, now these are chambered for the uh, the five, five, six round. You, you don't know where that round's going to go. Right. It could kill somebody in Washington Heights if you <laughs> shoot it in Yonkers, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so, you know, you don't want to take that chance. So um, what I carried was the MP4. Oh, okay. Yeah, I used to carry that on. Only on high-threat cases. I didn't walk around like, uh, you know. The, the H&K, the MP, yeah, the H- yeah. MP5, okay. Uh, MP4. Oh, MP4. What yeah. was that? That was the 40, 40 uh Forty cal. Oh, forty cal. Okay. Yeah. At that time, yeah, they had them in nine millimeter forty cal, and then mm-hmm. they they wait, later went to ten millimeter for the yeah. FBI. Okay. Right. Yeah, we carried the MP4, um, and that had selective fire. Yeah. Um, that had burst rounds. Yeah. Which was cool. Um, so I carried that, but I always liked the eight seventy shorty shotgun. Yeah. So what I used to do was I used to load buckshot, slug, buckshot, slug. Yeah. Buckshot. Whatever you know, um, I alternated the rounds, mm-hmm. which we could do. Yeah, you know, um, God forbid you hit somebody with that slug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God. You know, uh, the only time I came close with the shotgun to shooting something, and it would have killed me to do it, was we were doing the uh, back in the uh, late '80s. We were doing the crack house raids. Yeah, that was a wild time. Oh my goodness, yeah. you don't, you, you don't know. They had trap doors set up. Yeah. On roofs, booby traps. Re- booby traps. One guy, we grabbed them. They had tar paper over a hole, huh. and underneath they had a mattress. But the mattress wasn't to break your fall. The mattress had metal rebar sticking through it. Yeah, that's how vicious. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, that was a wild time. Yeah, this guy uh, almost went through it. But anyway, so we used to, uh, you know, we'd have the NYPD emergency service unit. We'd go down in the caravan to the crack house we wanted to hit. And uh, sure enough, this big German shepherd comes out. Uh, and uh, he's coming right at me. But he's not, you know, snarling and growling or anything. And I just got that shotgun and I'm holding it at, at him. I go, get away. Go, go away. And he keeps coming. <laughs> yeah, keeps you don't like, want to have to shoot I did not want to yeah. shoot this dog. Uh, but if he came at me, I would have had no choice. But in the same respect, I'm backing away. Right. You know? I'm trying to go around the car, and he's coming. I opened up the door of the car. It was a Crown Vic. The dog was going in there, and the NYPD guy shot him with a dart. Mm. He laid on the back seat and went to sleep. Mm. He was safe. Shut the doors, and after the whole operation was over, 
<clears throat> my chief goes to get in his car, and there's this big German shepherd asleep in his back seat. And he's like, who left the door open in my car? He's looking at me. You know, it, it was a joke, you know, yeah. but um, but it wasn't meant to be a joke, you right. know. Yeah, you so we saved to... the dog's life. The yeah. dog wasn't bothering anybody. He was doing his job, you know. Right. Now, the shotgun you used, it was it didn't have a stock on it. It was basically kind of like a, sh- a sawed-off with like mm-hmm. a bird's head grip. Correct. Yeah. We, we spoke about guns like that in New York. They recently passed a law that made those illegal for civilians to have now. They were illegal to buy mm-hmm. for civilians, and now they're not, and... For people who wanted to use that, let's just say for home protection, not obviously kicking down doors and arresting bad guys, but even just for the home protection role of it now, unfortunately, the state has deemed that to be, you know, basically the same as an illegal handgun. It's, it's so ridiculous. Uh, I still have, I got a, I got a Mossberg. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, it has the pistol grip. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. Um, the ones we had was more of a handle. Whether, yeah, they call it a bird's head grip. Yeah, it's not like a slight angle. It's not like vertical. Correct. It's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, you know your guns. Yeah, I, I uh, try. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It, that's exactly what it what it was. Yeah. Mine had more of a pistol grip. Mm-hmm. But what happened on later on? We did away with that, and we kept the same short shotgun. But we added a stock. Okay. And I liked it. Yeah. It's very handy, very convenient. It was much more, you know, control. It's not as concealable like you would have no, under a jacket, no. but it, it did the job But better. you know what was good about it? What? The stock was a nice weapon. Oh, yeah. When somebody, boom. Just, yeah. you know, instead of hitting them with a slapjack or, or a baton, <laughs> you, you know, you could hit them with the, the stock. I guess it could be more justifiable hitting with the buttstock than a slapjack, well, I suppose. Well, well, depending. Listen, when I came on, I was issued a blackjack. Wow. Yeah. That's another question I was going to ask you. Like, old school, let's just say old school policing versus, like, new school policing. Obviously, like, things have changed. Things have evolved. Do you find or do you hear in, obviously, your line of work and the commentating that you do, do you think that the new school policing is the way to go? Or do you still think there's a place for old school type policing in that aspect? I, I Listen, the old school policing is the fundamental. Right. Okay? Then you build on that mm-hmm. with new technology, um, new new approaches, uh, you know, especially especially in the electronic age. You know, yeah. you, you're not going to be able to do anything unless you, you know, uh, rely on, you know, you don't know how many people I found through IP addresses. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, that's media. how you right. catch somebody. But, you know, I... I I was in the beginning. I was more hesitant doing, you know, uh, tracking phones and stuff like that. I, I prided myself on the old school, mm-hmm. you know, knocking on doors, surveillances. You right. know, we would we would do surveillances. Like, you know, it's not like you know law and order. You know, where they get the the, the container of Chinese food, they <laughs> eat it, they have a coffee. Oh yeah, there he is. Okay, yeah. I mean, you'd be out there sometimes for you know hours and hours and hours. Or days, you know what I right. mean? Um, so it, it, I was hesitant at first with the electronic stuff, but as the, the the months and weeks and years, whatever, went by, you know, I finally had to succumb and say, you know, the this old the school stuff is great. Mm-hmm. The old school stuff has a place. Right. It's the building blocks, fundamental. It's the... The, the the foundation of investigation, but then you build on it with the new technology that comes out, you know, and some of these older guys that were even older than me, they didn't want to touch this stuff. Right. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to learn that at my age, you know. 
So um, it's very helpful. It's kind of also along the same lines of like body-worn cameras now. There's, a, I guess, some sort of controversy that a body-worn camera is, is a bad thing. And it's, I mean, how many times have you know, you've seen body cam videos that vindic- that like, um, that prove the officer was innocent or just, you know, and it was, let's just say the criminal's word against an officer or, or vice versa. Obviously there's bad police officers out there that the victim was, you know, was being taken advantage of, their, their rights were being trampled on, whatever. I mean, I guess it goes both ways, but I guess that's the way now things are going where everything's going to be recorded, everything's going to be filmed, everything's going to be that. And I guess as law enforcement officers, you know, that everything has to adapt to that now. Yeah, you know, I, I have mixed views on that. Yeah. Um, one of the things, well, first of all, I never wore one. Obviously, <laughs> back then. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and to me, it would be another thing that I would have to strap on me that's a pain in the ass. Right. You know what I mean? Which I would, my, oh, I gotta, now i got to remember to turn it. But you know what? There are people out there that just hate the, uh, hate the police until they need them. Right. Okay? Yeah. Until they need them. So right. they're hypocrites, okay? But I don't even want to get into that crap. Um the thing is, you know, when they videotape you, they have the luxury of picking and choosing and right. editing what they want to send to the media. Oh, yeah. You know, they'll sh- they might send that piece that, that looks damning against the cop, punching the guy in the face, but you know what? What was shown before what was that? Sh- that what was before that. that that predicated that, you know, incident, right. you know, uh, the guy's... Uh, Biting down on the guy's arm and he ain't letting go and right. blood is drawn from his arm. He had no choice but to punch him. He got yeah. draw to get him to release him from his arm. So, right. you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, can vindicate. Mm-hmm. I look at it, you know, you know and, I, and I don't want to kind of piss anybody off, but listen, if you're not doing anything wrong and you're doing your job correctly you and you have the integrity, you know, they make you wear it. You got, that's their policy. It could help you one day. The it one might day help. Might it agree. might help. If you're not doing anything wrong, right. then it's never going to hurt you. Right, right. But if you're doing something right and they're trying to say you did something wrong and that could vindicate you, yeah. then, you know, so be it. And then there should be a law that says, okay, you know what? You should, even as a police officer, now you should be able to sue that media company. Yeah. You sue the balls off them. Because they knew that that clip wasn't, you know. That's what happened at the um, the young man Nick Sandman, who was right, at the correct. DC with the with the Native American mm-hmm. there, and he sued CNN, he sued everybody, and he he won because yeah. they they slandered him, they doctored it, they right. didn't show the whole thing, and yeah, right, I mean, right, right, right. it is now in the days where everyone, because of all the technology that's out there, the the, hot, this, the, the standard has been raised, and everyone now is held accountable. There's always video. There's always this. There's always that. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you. Uh, from your experience and everything you see and all the common, commenting that you do in all these major news networks, do you think the criminal of the yesteryear or the criminal of today, do you think they're the same? Do you think criminals today, like, for example, I was reading in the newspaper today um, on my way over here. I stopped and got a coffee. There was a, a 14, uh, 14-year-old kid who was arrested 18 times now, and he was just arrested now because he was involved in a shooting of another gang member or whatever. I mean, do, these stories that kind of come up, do they surprise you? Do you think, oh, it's it's not what it used to be, criminals or this now or that now? Um, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, the criminals, I call them more thugs. Mm-hmm. They're more emboldened today okay. because they know that 
they could get away with a lot more. Right. You have these bleeding hearts. Oh, you know, he's a well, oh, he was such a good boy, you know. Yeah, good boy. He held up nine liquor stores, raped three women, mm-hmm. you know, but he's going to college now, but he's a good boy. Right. Okay, yeah, right. So, you know what? Listen, like I said, the criminals are going to be out there forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just the way it is. You right. Know? Um, and, and I always, you know, I always say, you know, they have to get lucky every single day. Yes. We only have to get lucky once, mm-hmm. you know, to put them in jail. Right. And when they do go to jail, they're going to go to jail very tired. That's our saying. But um, today, it, it, there's a breakdown of the whole family unit, mm-hmm. you know. Um, these, these people are 13 years old. They're just running wild. Now, did that happen back during the... Of course. Of course it does. Yeah. It happened back in the 1600s, you know right. I mean? But not to the extent you see today with the gang activities, how they recruit these the kids. The violence. The violence. You know, they dangle a gold chain in front of some kid's neck, you know, and, uh, you know, he'll bark like a dog Tell for it. to go shoot somebody to beat. Yeah, go shoot somebody, you know, right. to, to make your bones, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not... You know, even even the mafia as today calmed down. As, yes. You know, you, you you know you you don't see as much as you did back in the eighties. Even 70s. the mafia had a code; they wouldn't go after like certain people, depending obviously. But they right. had like a like a code put in place. Nowadays, it's just oh, I punched this woman on the subway because I wanted to, right, or right. I, I killed this person because I wanted their shoes, or you know whatever. Or well, bucks, well, a lot of a lot of it. Listen, a lot of it. And, and, you know, you see these people that do those type of things, they definitely have mental health issues. Yeah. Not, and nobody's addressing that. Do you That's think it's more prevalent today? Yeah. It is? Yeah. Yeah, because, well, you know, is it a back in the day, I think back in the day, I could be wrong, they locked you up in the nut house. Right. And, and you never seen light of day. Um, right. You know, now with all these bail reforms and, mm-hmm. you know, Criminal justice reform, and and you know there should be some, you know. Oh, yeah, look, obviously. I don't want to see a guy get locked go up to for a jail joint for, or something like for, that for smoking pot. I yeah. could care less. That's not the you kind know what of I mean. Crime. That's crazy. But you know, you, when you when you have when you have people that you know are sucker punching old ladies yeah. for no reason, stabbing people, mm-hmm. and then you got a DA like this guy in Brooklyn. That just lets him out, and he wants yeah. to go after the bodega shop yeah, owner. Yeah, that one was. That, yeah. How does this guy like you know sleep? You and know, then I think it puts someone in your position in a lot more danger of because it you does. have to go now get them of course if they're it does. murderers, or yeah. they get released and then they commit more crime, and then now they're sending you. And it's like, well, if maybe you just locked him up in the first place or kept him in jail and set no bail or something, you know, no no money to get out, whatever. Like, we wouldn't have to go after him now. We wouldn't have to spend taxpayer resources and dollars and put people's lives at risk. Well, you know, towards the end of my career, I hooked up with a team. When I went back into the city and, and they, uh, all first grade detectives, a couple second grade detectives, I had the, the New York State Troopers uh, investigative unit with me, and I had the parole team. And uh, my partner, Vinny, uh, ran the parole. And um, let me tell you something. Most of the most of these people that we got were parole violators, mm. and I'm not talking about the parole violators because they uh, jumped the turnstile. Yeah, no. I'm talking about rape of a six year old kid, you know, child mm. molested. I'm talking about murder. I'm talking about uh, 
you know, guns, things like that. We, we only took took on the the worst of the, the worst. worst of the worst, right. correct? So you know what? As the years, I retired in 2013. Mm -hmm. So as the years leading up to that, you would start to see more and more, not as not as prevalent as today, but you'd see more of these violators that are out there, and um, you know, they were starting to like become. Like, no fear. Right. Oh, okay, so I'll go back to jail, I'll do another six months, and they'll parole me again, I'll be out on the street, then I could do a few more liquor store hold-ups, uh, you know, rape some kids, or uh, try and molest this, that, the other thing. Yeah, they'll throw me back, I'll be out again, blah, blah, blah. That's their mindset, because they know there's no accountability, there's no punishment. Right. I often say on, on my show here, it's, it's, a, it's a morality issue and a degradation of society, meaning... You know, like you said, people are so emboldened to do something because they say, well, what do I have to live for in this society? What, you know, what's going to happen to me? I don't see a future. I don't see this. When, when, you know, people are then just so hopeless in the fact that they feel they need to join a gang or they need to commit crime in order to be somewhat accepted in this or to have some sort of like, unfortunately, these young men that go and shoot up a school, they need to feel some sort of oh, here's my 15 minutes of fame. I'm going to be infamous. Everyone's going to know my name. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there's 20 kids now that are dead because of the, the depravity of one individual. Um, there's really, I don't think there's much of a way to stop it other than just trying to recognize the signs beforehand, enforcing the law, and holding people accountable and not just letting them out or you know, actually prosecuting them. I mean, how many news stories do you see out there where, oh, this is his sixth time out of jail in three years and he was on parole when he committed this crime and now this person's dead? Um, yeah, it's just, that's why I wanted to ask your opinion on that, that question specifically because as somebody who went after the worst of the worst and who did that and sees now what's going on in the world as, a, as let's just say, somebody who's retired but just kind of looks at it just like, you know, I just wanted to ask your thoughts on that. But is there anything else you want to say? Well, you know, you know, just to that point, mm -hmm. what I noticed, lack of education, mm. uneducated. Yeah. I'm not talking about people being stupid. There's, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. Okay? You can be smart but be uneducated, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of these people, like I said, they, there's no adult supervision. Right. So they don't go to school. Why go to school? The now schools also learn. are failing them too because they don't. The schools have, are horrible. Yeah, it's it's some part in some parts of the country. Yeah, I mean, especially let's just say in, let's just use the city as an example. I read stories all the time. Oh, they pushed him through three grades worth. They gave him passing grades even though he didn't deserve yeah. it because otherwise yeah, they wouldn't get funding. Participation award. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen. The the thing is, you have to, um, you you have to learn your ABCs, mm -hmm. math. History, you know, like I say, you know, I mean, you can't erase history. No, you can't. History is where you learn from. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, the the thing is, you know, if if you don't have fundamental education and you're not learning, you know, anything that's you know, even even social studies, social skills. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about you know talking about or, or trying to indoctrinate, indoctrinate these kids mm -hmm. with your values. Right. You know what I mean? As a teacher, what you believe in. you gotta, you got to uh, indoctrinate the fundamentals of the, the country, you know. Um, you know, just, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean, you know, little Susie Q doesn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you're, you're trying to sway her that there's no God. Right. Or... 
that this country is inherently racist or this country is bad or something like that. That's a lot of crap, okay? Yeah. And these teachers should be fired. And these people yeah. oh, that boy. commit these crimes like in the school, yeah. they should be exterminated, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're no good. There was just one point to that. There was a video that was circulating around recently of a teacher in a school that said um, somebody brought up somebody was like a pedophile. And he, she said, oh, they're not pedophiles. They're minor attracted I, persons. I, I see and that. we shouldn't judge somebody who wants to have sex with a five-year-old. And it's like if that's what they're teaching in schools and that's what pe- young people are being brought up. Obviously, that's an extreme example. A very, But it's it's more common now. And these people are being brought up in it. And then they go into society. And then they're just screwed up to some degree. And... Unfortunately, you know, who do you blame in that? You know, some personal responsibility lies upon the people that are, you know, themselves and who commit crime. But then also it's like environment, society, schools, family. Um, so and we, I find that a lot when I talk about issues on, on my show here, especially pertaining to firearm crime, gun ownership, etc. How somebody who commits crimes with a, with a firearm then ruins it for everybody in society because of weak-willed politicians who pass laws that now affect everybody who followed the laws. But not to get too much into that. <laughs> well, remember this. Yeah. The good guys carry guns to protect themselves yeah. to protect others. It's the bad guys who carry the firearms that do the, you know, the most carnage, okay? Right. So, you know, to, to, to loop everybody into one car, oh, guns are bad. Mm-hmm. No, people are bad. Yes. The guns are an inanimate object. Okay, just like, you know, and, and, you know, I'm I'm sure you heard this before, but, oh, outlaw guns, outlaw guns. Okay, okay, so so the guy that goes and uh, bludgeons somebody with a hammer, uh, you know, goes on a rampage with a hammer. Oh, we're going to we're going to go to every hardware store and take all the hammers off the show. Where does this stop? It happened in Canada recently with that mass knife stabbing. Just a few weeks ago. Yeah. You know, uh, Okay, so. uh, we're going to limit the machete. You can't carry a machete. Okay. Do you really need to carry a machete? <laughs> I mean, uh, but, you know, look, you know, these people have been demonizing the guns mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Right. It's, it's not going to go away. It, it, it's going to be a debate, and it's going to be a fight. Uh, and you know what? At, at the end of the day, it's a constitutional right. Yeah. So go stick it up your ass. Pretty and, much. Yeah. I think that's right. Great, somebody else. I think that's a great quote to end the show with. It's a constitutional right. Go stick it up your ass. <laughs> I want that on a bumper sticker. Um, I think we'll end it there. I mean, that's a great way to end it. Uh, kind of brings it around. But I, I want to thank you, Craig, for coming on the show. We we try to, uh, like I said in the beginning of this, it's it's been so much lately about laws and everything. But I want to have more people on to talk about their experiences, what what the real world is like. I mean, you know, you see stuff in the media and how they, they manipulate it and sugarcoat things, but just to get some real-world stories and people who've been there and done that, I think that's a great thing for... And obviously, it's entertaining as hell. So yeah, As long as you guys had a good time. Oh, I had a blast. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us there. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>